all I'm doing is designing for editing. I don't design to make, you know, data systems or something for a bank. It's all in the minutia of how some a clip moves or how, how to trim something, what's the best way to do it, that it's actually become like one and the same to me. Editing and designing for editing are the same to me. Welcome to the sixth episode of the Mobile Storytelling Podcast with me, Vitsi Fellinga, in Friesland in the Netherlands. And me, Bjorn Staschen, in Hamburg. This podcast is about how to tell a story with your smartphone. In our podcast so far, we have talked with journalists like Nico Piro from Italy or Nick Garner from the UK. We have also talked with mobile storytelling trainers like Sarah Tide from Lebanon or Glenn Mulcahy from Ireland, who is much more than a trainer, having started the whole Mojo movement. But trainers and journalists would have some difficulties in telling stories with their smartphone if there wasn't another bunch of people. The developers of gear and the developers of apps that we use. Today we are honored to have Terry Morgan from LumaTouch as a guest. LumaTouch is the company behind LumaFusion, which is widely accepted as the editing app for iOS. Terry has been professional in the video industry for over 30 years now, working for companies such as Lightworks, Pinnacle Systems and Avid. She created Pinnacle Studio for PC and iOS phones and subsequently founded LumaTouch to take editing on a phone a step further. Welcome, Terry. We're happy to have you. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you, Bjorn and Witze. Uh, well, first off, how did you ever get into video editing? Where does a lifelong passion for video editing, editing come from? Uh, yeah, that started a long time ago when I was in college, actually. Um, in the middle of the night, in one of those edit suites at the college, I had a project due, and my co-partner fell asleep in the middle of the night and left me for the editing. Oh. And I was like, I love this. And I've just been doing editing ever since. <laughs> And what did you study? Was it journalism or, or what is your background? It was filmmaking. So I, I you know, I had dreams of being a, a documentary filmmaker or something like that. And I just found that actually what I'm really good at and what I love the most was the editing process. So I stuck with that. And did you kind of start as an editor first and then become a developer of editing apps or Where did that road lead along? Yeah, so I worked in a post house first in Seattle, um, Alpha Cine Labs, and they they processed film and stuff, but we also had a, a video editing um, suite there, or several suites, and I started as a tape operator, and then uh, when nonlinear editing came out, all the good old boys there were like, ah, that's never going to take off, the picture's still blurry and whatever, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to learn this, so... I read every page of the manual the, for the system we were using. And eventually, we got a Lightworks system, which was for you know nonlinear editing of film. And that was just brilliant. So I ended up getting that job. And, and then I worked um, freelance for years doing editing. And I eventually realized that uh, I could make more income by also working for development companies like Lightworks or Avid or Tektronics or Pinnacle. So I started doing that. And kind of did you miss the filmmaking? Did the kind of the original thing that got you started or is it is the development bit the, the nicer bit for you? 
Where's your passion? You know, it's in editing, actually. My passion is editing, but because all I'm doing is designing for editing. I don't design to make, you know, data systems or something for a bank. I design only editing stuff. So it's all in the minutia of how some a clip moves or how, how to trim something, what's the best way to do it. And I've seen so many ways of doing that over the years that it's actually become like one and the same to me. Editing and designing for editing are the same to me. Do you still edit your own films? Do you have your own products, your own kind of documentaries? I just do personal stuff. Yeah, I mean, I have edited documentaries in the past, small ones. You wouldn't know them. Um, but uh, now I just do, I have a son, you know, he's, he's a six. And so I... You know, on his birthday, every gift that he gets, I make a little video about it and send it to the person that gave him. So, <laughs> you know, fun stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I'm my I'm busy just running a company with Chris Damaris. Um, We shouldn't forget him. He's the brilliant developer behind LumaFusion and uh, the co-founder also of LumaTouch. But if, if someone comes along with a great editing project and says, hey, Terry, can you please come in and help us editing but it means you have to stop developing which way would you go i would still keep i mean well first of all lumitach is the most fun i've ever had in my life i mean we have now 14 people um even during covid we're having really fun meetings where we ask each other icebreaker questions like if if you could be a superhero what would you be or You know, what was the most trouble you got in in school? So we have these really, you know, even during a separation like this, we're having a great fun time. And when we're together in the office, it's just, um, it's just been a great experience. And I love doing it. And if someone told me I couldn't do it for a month or something to edit, I would say, you know, no, thank you. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do this. <laughs> so. If you were a superhero, which one would you be? <laughs> <laughs> me personally <laughs> yeah uh yeah i can't remember what i answered that but i think i would have to be someone who could read minds um oh. yeah that would be my favorite <laughs> so you would know my next question um though for our listeners i still i still ask the question um You said that you work for major players, now working with Chris Demiris uh, at LumaTouch. You develop Pinnacle, uh, quite a landmark application already. Why in the end did you go solo and kind of dive into the cold water of, of a startup? How, how did that happen? What, what made you be brave? So Chris and I worked on a team of eight people at Pinnacle, at, sorry, at Avid, um, and Avid was great. They just gave us this team and said, go develop um, something for the iPad. The only rules are it has to edit and you have to use this agile methodology, which is how we still develop today, um, which is a set of rules for really great development. And so we went away and did Avid Studio for iPad together. And it was just a wonderful experience. We loved it. And then Avid sold the whole consumer division to Corel. And um, Corel, well, had the plans of just laying us off as soon as we were hired. Um, but Chris and I said, you know what? We really, really like Avid Studio and would love to keep developing it and keep 
um, supporting it. So we approached Corel and said, hey, can you let us support and develop that under a license? And they said, sure, why not? You know, because they were going to close us down anyway. So it was a win-win. And during that time, you know, we realized that that code was getting out of date. It was, it needed a complete rewrite to be able to move to the next level. And so we approached Corel and said, would you like to take that journey with us? And they were kind of like, nah, that's okay. <laughs> so we said, okay, we'll, we'll do it our, ourselves. So essentially, we were very lucky because it took three years to develop LumaFusion. And without that license from Corel, uh, we wouldn't have had the income to do a development this big. Um, so the, it, it was our basically our living money until the end when, you know, we had to have some separation between Pinnacle Studio and LumaFusion just for ethical reasons. So we went without income for a while, which was tough. But yeah, then when we put out LumaFusion, it took a good six months to get that off the ground. And then, bam, it just took off. <laughs> so we were super lucky to... I think you're you're uh, right on point there. It took off. I mean, it's it has been the unrivaled app for uh, many of us in the mobile journalism field. The the editing app everyone uh, uses. Um, how do you think that happened? How how come you hit the right spot? Well, I think it was the the Mojo crowd that did that for us. To be honest, I mean, we had. Our Twitter account, and I don't know if you remember, but we did a 90-day countdown to release where we revealed one feature a day in a little 30-second video. And most of our audience back then was the Mojo group, um, just because we had known people like Glenn and others and you in that group um, from Mojo Fest, I guess. And, um, you know, you're a vocal group, and we also tried to listen to what you guys were telling us, which was like stuff like, uh, we need channel mapping and, you know, some other features. And, and so we said, okay, this is who we're going to build for first. And we did that. And, um, it was good advice from you guys. And so we <laughs> ended up with some different differentiating features that really helped us. Yeah. Because we might be a vocal group, but we're also a quite small group. So to really make money out of this app, you probably had to search for a broader audience, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, I think that there was a hole in the market. And, um, well, the way I mapped it for product management was there was a lot of apps that don't do very much um, for a cheap price. And then there was a couple apps that were very expensive or subscription that did a little bit more. But there was no app that did a lot and was a reasonable single purchase price. And so if you map it out on a grid, which I have done, um, we're in a space that has a big hole around it. And that's, that's why we're doing well is because we found a hole in the market and we're sitting there um, enjoying that hole. Uh, you know, if someone else comes into that, yeah, that'll, that'll be a struggle. But yeah, um, I think that we have the benefit of being the first uh, first people there. So, But you've been the first for quite some years now. Why is no one else entering? Is it 
too sophisticated what the app does? Is it is the code too good to kind of uh, rival it? Or is, is the market niche just too small for two? Why? Um, well, I think it's hard. It took us three years, and that's three years with a developer who had been developing for the last 30 years for video. So he's extremely experienced. I'm an extremely experienced designer for video. And so you can't just walk into the field and say, hey, I'm going to make this thing work without that experience. There's just a lot of things that come into play. Um, and Chris and I um, just, we mesh well together. You know, he, he takes care of the all the technical side, all the development, all the, he keeps the code up to date, like he's always rewriting something to keep it with the latest code. So um, he's doing a stellar job. And then I hope that I'm also doing my part by looking out in the market, listening to our customers, looking for things that people aren't doing. And I think in the next year, you'll see some more things coming from us that um, show that There are still spaces that nobody's in, and we're happy to be there. <laughs> so. there. There was one competitor entering that was Adobe Rush, and we all thought, ooh, that might be real competition. So how do you see Adobe Rush uh, in comparison to what you offer? Um, well, you know, there's obviously benefits if you're an Adobe um, person and you're already doing Premiere and you want all your stuff with the cloud moved back and forth. But, I mean, I, I don't mean to be crass or anything, but it, it, it clearly isn't designed by someone who loves editing. It's designed by someone who wants you to move to Premiere. And that's the goal of that system. And they're not, they don't shy away from saying that. They, it's, a, it's an entry-level social media editor um, where LumaFusion, what we're trying to build, is the best editor that you can possibly put on an iPad. And that's our goal. That's in our mission statement. And that's what that's what we're trying to do. Um, so I think it, there's just not, it's probably not a big enough market for Adobe to say, I'm going to spend three years of a high-end developer and a designer and then a whole another team of people to build something this complex. I mean, that it's, it's not big enough market for Adobe. It's, it's a fine market for a company our size, though. <laughs> so, yeah. Ru rumors say they approached you and even tried to buy. We've been approached by many people. Um, and uh, for a while, I have to admit, it was like enticing. We were kind of like, hmm, well, I guess we could retire or something. And we went on a number of missions to find out more about these other companies and realized that actually we don't want to retire. We don't want to sell. We're having the time of our life. Um, for now, our company is successful, and we hope to try to keep it that way. Uh, our company culture is amazing. Uh, we actually like everyone on our team, and we have just... A way of working that is makes people want to wake up and go to work in the morning, and we all enjoy that. And uh, and is, is is maybe that the key to your success that that you have fun in making the product that other people have fun in using it? I think so. Yeah, I mean, you can tell uh, that we each have passion. You know, I don't 
necessarily tell people on the team, go make a video about blend modes. They're coming to me and saying, hey, we want to make a, a video about blend modes because it's really cool and we think we could do a good job. And and so it's, yeah, that energy just flows into the marketing. It flows into the app. It flows into all of the bugs that we write or like, how can we make this better? And when will that energy flow towards Android? Oh, yeah. Very good question. Yeah, that is a good question. Um, We've been talking about it for, for, for years. Absolutely. So I'll tell you why, why it's been the way it's been. Um, so Apple developed this superb audio video engine called AV Foundation, and it handles the playback of video. It handles speeding and slowing. It handles, you know, compositing. It, it's, a, it's a wonderful engine that our Spray engine sits on top of. So without that base engine our spray engine wouldn't work. Um, so Android doesn't have an audio video engine that's anything like that. It's just nothing. So in order to move to Android, we have to first build this AV foundation for Android that Apple built. And so uh, that's what we're looking at right now. We've been um, testing that out internally um, to see if that can be done. So we're looking at building that base engine right now. So the question is, can that base be done? It's not even, can we do the app? It's the, it's even kind of, it's basic research. It's can that base be done, right? You're still there. Well, and why are you still there? I mean, we've been asking you for this for two years or three years now. Yeah, well... <laughs> you, <laughs> what you know you're asking a team of, uh, so of us to like build what apple <laughs> built you know so yeah no i mean we are working on it and um it's just a big job and and honestly there's quite a bit of evidence that says you know android may never actually pay back for the amount of money that we have to put in to get that bill but it would be such a big market it would be and you know especially where um mobile journalism is more important uh in developing countries uh in countries where um journalists um can't work at state media because they are censored or whatever it's it's all android territory isn't it so aren't there much more um android Uh, users who would be interested in such an app there. So so wouldn't it kind of sell much more? The second uh, the part platform? of your statement there, there's much more Android users, but are there much more Android users that want to spend $30 on an app? That's the big question. Um, so... But there are, you know, all the journalists that really need mobile journalism. For us in the Western world, it's kind of It's nice to have, we, but we could do without. But in countries like, I don't know, you know, Northern Africa or in Asia, um, there are many drones who cannot do without their phone. And they are all Android users. Yeah. I mean, well, I guess we'll find out since we're working on it now. Um, we'll find out whether that, that they will be willing to spend um, the same amount that someone on an Apple uh, device would be. Would the fragmentation of the Android market be uh, a problem as big for you as it was for Filmic? 
Yeah, I, I mean, also, you, you mean of all the different devices? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. of course, we'll have to, because our app is playing back many tracks of 4K media and many tracks of audio, it's even more difficult than Filmic. So we will have to limit which Android devices. I mean, technically, it's it would be impossible to just say, oh, it's for all Android. We'll have to say certain Android devices can run it, and that that's for technical reasons, so... You can see the same thing happening in the competition at Adobe Rush, who are still uh, only offering a very limited number of Android phones. I believe only a couple of Samsung phones that can actually run the app. So probably we'll run into the same uh, obstacles. Yes. Yeah, it w w will. And so, but, you know, because we're building the engine... Um, that we need to do the things that we need. I think that we'll be maybe in a better position than Android. So we're not porting over any code where as we did in LumaFusion building from the ground up. So we may be in a good position there. So give us give us a roadmap like a timescale. When when will we see the app on Android? <laughs> I don't know. Um, because I all I know is that um, we have a team of people working on it. Uh, Google is helping us with that. So, um, but it, it's complex enough that we do need Google's help. That's that's how complex it is. It's not something that uh, we can just do without their engineers as well. So, um, but does that mean that Google believes in it? That Google uh, sees a future in this? I don't know if they see a future in it or not. I mean, they would have to say that. But I think. Um, that they've been very willing to be helpful with with it so i, w I would assume that means they're not against it <laughs> so. we are we are really hoping because everyone who is training um is suffering um, because it's so difficult if you have a room um, full of people um, who use different phones and the The, the one filming app that we kind of recommend that we most of us find quite good, Filmic Pro, they, they made the move to Android like a, two years ago, maybe something like that, two and a half years. And funnily enough, you're in the same building uh, um, with the Filmic people in Seattle and you've been talking about company culture. Um, does it help you that you are kind of with the Filmic people in a building? Um, how do you kind of act together in that building in Seattle? Yeah, I mean, we don't get in each other's business for, you know, in general. We share some spaces. We share a studio and we share some conference rooms and the kitchen. So there's a lot of friendly chit-chat and, um, you know, not not personal gossip, but gossip about, you know, the industry or whatever. So we, we keep abreast of things more easily when we're with them. And, um, but yeah, we rarely meet about any kind of collaboration um, beyond just making sure that we support what they're doing and they support what we're doing. Um, so some of our initiatives over the next year are to help support some of the things that they've been doing. It's quite interesting. You find some, if you look closely, uh, like the filmic Uh, filming quality is called filmic quality, filmic extreme. You find th the same uh, words in your export uh, modes, for example. So, so there are some things where you see, well, these people obviously talk together. I mean, one uh, naive as me could think 
why not throw everything together? It's it's kind of two bits of a workflow. Why, why not um, do it all together? What what what? Why is it good to keep the two of you separated apart from gossip about the industry? Yeah, I mean, this is uh, probably more of a business question than anything. I would guess. Uh, you know, Chris and I. Um, spent three years of our lives just trying to make this product. Um, and then now we've spent another four years, well, 17, 18, 19, 20, three and a half years um, building a company that we love. And to consider merging it with another company is, in my book, the same as considering selling it. It's like, it's my baby. It's Chris's baby. We're like, we're good. We're happy. <laughs> You know, don't don't fix what's not broken. So, <laughs> so yeah. And when were you most happy with that baby? What project came along that you thought, "Wow, someone is using our baby for this"? Oh my gosh, I can't. I think that every week I see something that I am proud of. Just that I was uh, involved with the tool that was involved with what that person did. But, you know, that is, um, that's the joy of being in LumaTouch is just like, we, we have a Slack channel that's just for amazing uh, videos that people make with LumaFusion. And every week there's something on there where just like that, that is cool. I never thought someone would do that with it. And then we do a thing with Sam Mestman's kids from um, We Make Movies, um, He he runs an organization that delivers um, training and equipment to underserved kids all over the country. Um, and um, so LumaTouch has been involved with that. We're giving away devices and support to these kids. And to be quite honest, watching the, them use the app to make their very first YouTube video And seeing the kind of things that they do actually, I, it actually brings tears to my eyes. So <laughs> I guess that's the answer. It's that that's the most happy I am is to see that th these underserved kids have found that they have a skill. They can gain a skill that would allow them to go out in the world and make money even when they can't find a job, like a normal nine to five job. That is the best thing that I can imagine. And and the amazing thing with with Luma uh, Fusion is whenever I do trainings, people use some video, video editing apps. Um, but as soon as you show them Luma Fusion, even if they say, I don't need another app, this one's good enough for what I do, they are all amazed by what it can do. And they all, from then on, will only use that one. So you've kind of made the transition from the professional video editing apps that are there on computers to kind of the wider market with with transferring it to a phone or to an iPad you've opened it up to to many more people and many more um, um, users and use cases I guess yeah I mean that's because I love editing and I've been doing editing since 1988 or something and I have been involved with designing and 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 contributing to all these different systems, I have a record in my head of what worked and what didn't work and what was used and what wasn't used and what was, you know, some customer might have said, I need this 
amazing codec that does XYZ, and then the, the feature just flopped, right? So I kind of we have pared down LumaFusion to be really the things you need to do to get a job done in a fun way. So that's, you know, the fun comes into it when people are learning it and find they love video editing. Um, you don't love video editing if you're overwhelmed by a list of menus 40 deep and things you don't understand. That that hurts and it, it, it makes it really stressful. But when you can get rid of that and just say, you know what, you really what you really need to get a job done from start to finish are these, you know, 50 things. Let's put those in and make those fun and then go from there. And so that's, I think that's why it, it works broadly is just not too complicated. Though, though it has many more than 50 things. It's so deep that people sometimes say it's, it's too much. I don't need all that. But still, you know, if I only use the, the tip of the iceberg, uh, it's, it's possibly enough. One, one thing that, that I keep wondering, one question is, why is the app that good? Why can it be that good on a phone? We've talked about that. The other thing is that I'm still amazed that you didn't change ways with your baby. And you said it was part of the, the market research. You, you didn't change ways with regard to one-off payment or subscription. It's, it's still a one-off payment. So you buy the program and from then on, you own it with all the updates. Have you ever thought about leaving that route? Because many have. Yeah, I mean, we've obviously considered it. Um, and huh, wow, it's, I'm, well, I'm against it because I feel like, now this, I'm against it doesn't mean we'll never have to do it, but I am against it because I feel like editing is akin to, like, I, I'm going to use this analogy I sometimes use. If you buy a waffle maker, You buy that as a one-time charge. What you might subscribe to is different flavored syrups every month, you know, but you're not going to subscribe to your waffle maker. If you did, you would feel like you had to use that waffle maker every month or you're going to feel guilty for using the subscription. You're going to feel like you failed. There's this whole psychological thing with subscriptions that just makes you feel bad. And I want LumaFusion to make you feel good. So you make the decision, you buy it. We might have subscriptions to content. We might have in-app purchases. We might have other things that you can choose to buy. But I don't feel like editing should be something you have to subscribe to. Having said that, there's a lot of pressure <laughs> to make it a subscription. I'm, I'm not ever going to want to do that, and so I hope we never have to. But... I mean, obviously, people that do that make more money, but we're not, you know, we're not in it to make more money. We're just in it to stay in business and have fun. So, And talking about having fun, are you having fun in developing the new features that are coming out? Oh, yes. Some of the new features that um, are that are out now in 2.3 um, would be things that really bring it to a pro level, things that are in the wheelhouse of pro editors, multi-select on the timeline. So you can lasso a bunch of clips and drag them somewhere else. You can copy and paste them to another place in that timeline, or you can copy and paste them to another timeline. Um, and then, so those are two like big features that just totally change the way you can lo use LumaFusion. 
And then uh, the Frame.io integration. So I don't know if you know what Frame.io is, but this whole system for being able to communicate with your coworkers on a project, leave comments and um, respond to comments. And so we have integrated Frame.io into LumaFusion. So right in your LumaFusion library, you see your Frame.io footage, you see the comments on that, you can respond to the comments. Then you can put footage on your timeline and upload your timeline to Frame.io and put comments on that in LumaFusion and get the comments back into your LumaFusion timeline automatically. So imagine you edit something in LumaFusion, you put a few comments, do you like the color, do you like this? Send it up to Frame.io and then get comments right back on your iPad. Oh, yep, they, they like the color, great, or they didn't. Um, and also Frame.io automatically makes high-res proxies for media that isn't suitable for iOS. So if you have ProRes media in Frame.io, you won't even know it. You can edit your edit in LumaFusion. It's already been converted. Um, you won't even see it happen. And then when you export from LumaFusion, you choose the option of um, no you know, don't export relinkable media and you export that to um, Final Cut Pro. And then in Final Cut Pro, you can relink to your ProRes media. And so that is like, it, allow, it has this whole workflow involving Frame.io and Final Cut that allows you to actually work with media that you couldn't work with otherwise. So there's that. And then, oh, one more thing. Um, I can't show this over audio, obviously, but we have this... Um, skin that goes over the smart keyboards and it's like a keyboard shortcut skin mm -hmm. and it tells you what all the keyboard shortcuts are um, when to hit option when to hit command when to hit um, sh shift and so that makes it really fun to edit and actually use a keyboard for editing because you don't have to remember all that stuff so i did hear something about audio syncing Audio syncing, you heard that? <laughs> well, we have a lot of things coming in the next year, I can tell you. Um, and is audio syncing one of those things? <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to mention that today, but <laughs> so I'll tell you some things that we're working on, okay? Um, one of them is subtitles. So you'll be able to import um, SRT files, and um, that's phase one. Phase two would be to uh, do voice-to-text and get that as subtitles, and then eventually some translation in there. So you'll be able to do all your subtitles in LumaFusion. And then we have keyframe yeah. key easing and moving, so you can make your motions come to a nice smooth stop, and you can move the keyframes left and right. And then we've hired a really brilliant audio engineer, um, Andrew Madsen, and he's working on a whole new audio engine, updating that, and we'll add some UI to those audio uh, effects editor for EQ and all that stuff that's in there, so to make it more understandable for a normal person. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, audio syncing, And ah. multicam is is definitely in there. Um, 
Cool. I'm I'm gonna leave it at that because that's something <laughs> I don't want to go into right now. I think one of the cool things uh, about uh, Luma Touch as a company is that you are very responsive to your user base. That when a feature is requested, uh, we can be sure that you will look into it. Even if you don't believe in the feature yourself, you will see if it's possible to put in there. So um, whatever you decide to put in there, uh, we will be happy with it, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. We we do every feature request that comes in goes into our Jira database and and then we have regular meetings to reorder the database to say you know what's the most requested, what's what's the most important and and what's doable. I mean, f frankly, you could ask it to fly your plane. It doesn't mean we can do that even if we wanted to. But um, so there's a matrix we use for like, okay, is it, is it desirable? Is it doable? And how, how, how long is it going to take us to do it? And what, what else do we lose by doing that? So if the feature is going to take us a year to build, um, what are we missing out in that year that we won't be able to build because we're doing that? So, um, we do our best to really, like you said, we do listen and then we have to prioritize what goes in. Okay, thank you, Terry. I think uh, that wraps up this uh, sixth episode of the Mobile Storytelling Podcast with me, Vitsi Fellinga, in Friesland. In the Netherlands, you normally say, and me, Bjorn Staschen, in Hamburg. If you like what you hear, please share our podcast. Please comment if you have questions or additions. You can find us on all major platforms. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Bye-bye.